1 Corinthians chapter 10. The glory of God, the glory of God. This is our last motivation that we're going to be covering today. And this is one that as I grow as a believer, I get more and more excited about. And it's something that resonates with me and especially somebody who's in full-time vocational Christian work. And this applies to all of us, okay? But folks, I really, really want our ministry, our message, all we do, I really want it to be something that brings glory to God. And anything that detracts from that is something that is to be unacceptable, okay? We should be the very best by God's grace that we can possibly be, honorable, people of integrity, transparency, all of that. And so that commitment to that is something that our church truly is committed to, is having that as a goal is to bring glory to God. Now it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now that's just not a good verse, but it's also, there's some things here we need to define. Because if I was to ask you, what is the glory of God? You might, um, I'm not sure. Okay, well, let's do some defining and then we're going to see how this becomes such a powerful and life-transforming motivation in the Christian life. Let's define the glory of God. The word glory, this word glory here means dignity, honor, praise, or worship. Dignity, honor, praise, or worship. The honor and glory, the majesty, the praise and worship of our Lord should be given to him because he alone is worthy and deserving of that. There is no one higher than him. He is God. We are not. He is God. The one that one day, folks, when people see Jesus, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He is almighty God. And he is the one that we should be seeking and desiring to bring glory to. He should be the object of our worship. One theologian beautifully put it when he was talking about what is the glory of God, answering the question, he said this, and I quote, it is the manifestation of any or all of his attributes. In other words, it is the displaying of God to the world. Thus, things which glorify God are things which show the characteristics of his being to the world. Let me just give it to you one more time. What is the glory of God? It is the manifestation of any or all of his attributes. In other words, it is the displaying of God to the world. Putting God on display. Thus, things which glorify God are things which show the characteristics of his being to the world. Think about it. If you're born again, if you're a child of God, think about it. He is so many things to us, is he not? He's our creator. He's our savior. He's our shepherd. He's our provider. He's alpha and omega. He's our healer. He's our peace. He's the lamb of God, which will be his title for all eternity, the lamb. He's the holy one. I love this one. He's the captain of our salvation. He's the light of the world. And as it says in Colossians 3, when Christ, who is our life, he's our life. There's nobody like him. There's nobody worthy of glory 
except our Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we get the picture? If he is all of that to us, it is only natural for us to want to bring praise to him and to who he is. And that really is a motivation for the Christian life. He is so wonderful. He is so awesome. He is so loving. He is so incredible. His blessings are so abundant. His grace, immeasurable. Doesn't it just make sense that I should live my life as an act of worship to him? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. We see the heavenly scene. This is after the rapture of the church and, and, and uh, come up here and, and John is transported to heaven, to that heavenly vision. And it says in Revelation chapter 4, there's praise going on. Now we sing this song, okay? We'll be singing it at camp, one of my favorites. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Revelation 4, 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. There's the statement, but look what it says. For, in other words, because, here's why, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So the glory of God, displaying him to the world, letting people know how he is, But what does it mean to be motivated by the glory of God? Well, it simply means to be motivated to do all that we do to the very best that we can in order to bring glory to God. My life should be a living sacrifice to be spent on bringing glory to God. That's what it means to be motivated. And if that's your desire, you're being motivated by the glory of God. It is desiring to let people know any way we can of the greatness and the wonder of our God. It is to have a burning desire to point them to Christ because there is no one like him. To point them to Christ by what we say and what we do. Our words and our actions should always be pointing people to him. Why? Because he's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to have glory brought to. It is being delighted that God gets the glory through my life and not me getting the glory for anything. Are you satisfied with that as a Christian? You know one way you can tell is when you do something for Christ and no one gives you recognition for it. Do you grumble and complain, feel sorry for yourself, get a bad attitude against leadership or this or that? Or you know what? Why did you do that? You know why you did that? It's because you want the glory and you don't want to give it to him. That's why. I understand that. Well, go with me to John chapter 3. Let me show you a little verse, a little verse that is full of deep truth. John the Baptist, all of us know that John the Baptist was the forerunner of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he did his ministry and he was in the wilderness in... uh, You know, he went around and people kind of see him as a wild man. Well, maybe he was. He was a little different. He was. I kind of liken him to maybe like a Fred Flintstone or something like that. Maybe a little bit more stern look on his face. Just kidding. I don't know what he looked like. But I can tell you this. He had his head on straight. And you know what? He knew his purpose was to point people 
to the coming Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And folks, he had a gathering and he had a following and he was a notable person and people knew who he was and people came out to hear him preach. And every preacher loves it when people come out to hear him preach. It's encouraging, no doubt. But you know what he said in John 3? You see, folks, he understood what it meant to be motivated by the glory of God. He said this in John 3, verse 30, he says, he, referring to Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, while we know he was speaking of the visibility of his ministry, this is also a great picture of growth in the Christian life. This begins with recognizing him for who he is. Everything Jesus Christ has done for us is linked to his character and his attributes. He is our great God. He is worthy of all praise. He is worthy of all honor. He is worthy of all recognition. He is worthy of all adoration. He is worthy, not me, not you, him. Do you delight in that? He's worthy of every good thing we do as his children. He's worthy of anything good we do. But you know, John the Baptist, hey, he, had a, he had a going ministry. It was a thriving ministry. It was alive, okay? He was adding. He was getting bigger crowds. But when Jesus stepped on the scene, he immediately said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. It wasn't about him. It was about Christ. He must increase, but I must decrease. So we understand what the glory of God is, and we understand now what it means to be motivated by the glory of God. But let me move on here this morning to the personal far-reaching effects of the glory of God. In other words, if I am allowing myself to be motivated by the glory of God, if I not only choose that, but I let God have his way in my life. And by the way, can I tell you this? If you let God have his way in your life as a believer, talking to believers now, It'll become less and less about you and more and more about him. And it will become easier and easier to deflect praise or take credit and much easier to with delight in your heart say, thank you, Lord, for using me to reach other people and to affect people in a positive way. This is what it is. And it is amazing. The personal far-reaching effects of the glory of God. It will affect, let me give you just several things today. We could go on with a longer list, but we won't because of time. Number one, it will affect our worship of the Lord. It'll affect our worship of the Lord. As we saw last week, when we get captured by the love and grace of God, which is motivation in itself, our lives become an act of worship. We live and breathe it. It's our desire. It's our heart's desire. Worship is best defined as Christ's worth to us. Christ's worth to us. As a matter of fact, the word worship is really, the way it began is this. It was a, is a compound word, worth-ship. Worth-ship. It is the worship of Jesus Christ to us personally. It is how much is Jesus worth to me as an individual? And you know what? If he's everything, worship comes easy. If he's not, worship doesn't come easy. 
By the way, let me say this. Some people may not like this. Of course, I know everybody here today will like it. I'm just kidding. Worship is not entertainment, okay? Here's what I'm getting at, okay? If you go to a church and before the service begins, they have to go around with a tray and hand out earplugs to people because the music is going to get so loud you can't take it, so you got to wear earplugs. I have a hard time believing that's worship. Why is it so loud? Why do you have to do that? Some people say, well, I went to that church, but you know, it was fantastic. Why was it fantastic? They had a great band. Is that where we're at today? The worth of a church is how loud of a band they have? Are we there for Christ or are we there for a concert? Many times those musicians, did you know this? Some of you may not realize this. Many times those musicians don't even go to that church. Did you know that? And they don't believe the same thing, but they're hired hands. They don't really care what the church believes. They just go there because the church will pay them. Not a good thing. It's not the way it should be, okay? Contrast that to J.S. Bach, the classical artist, who said, and I quote, All music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub, unquote. Wow, that's amazing. He headed his compositions, in other words, he wrote at the beginning of his compositions, JJ, which is Jesus Juva, and I hope I'm pronouncing that last word correctly, which means Jesus help me. That's the first thing he wrote on a piece of music. Jesus help me. He ended them SD. G, soli de gratia, which means to God alone the praise. To God alone the praise. So he begins with that focus, he ends with that focus, and what he put in the middle, folks, was amazing. Amazing. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1, it says this, O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee. Do you see, by the way, do you see that? Just that phrase, we'll continue with the rest of it in a minute. O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee. Because he is who he is, the appropriate response of me, I should be motivated to bring him praise. I will praise thy name for or because thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness, and truth, motivated by the glory of God. Lord, you are so awesome. You are the one true God. You are amazing. I will praise you and worship you with my life. Folks, we're not talking about just getting in moods where people just stand there and sway back and forth and all that. No, we're talking about a life. If you leave your worship in church and then go about your life, that's not biblical. So the a personal far-reaching effects of the glory of God. First, our worship of the Lord, it will affect that. Secondly, our life purpose, our life purpose. If we are gripped, if we are motivated by the glory of God, turn with me to Philippians chapter one. It will affect our life purpose. See, but so many Christians, what do they do? They go through life and it's, I'm gonna do this, I want to do that. This is what I want. I think I'll do this and all that kind of thing. Never seriously asking the question, Lord, what do you want me to do today to bring glory to you? 
That's the question. Philippians 1 verse 20, Paul got it. He understood this. You might say, well, wait a minute. He was motivated by reaching a loss. Yes, he was. Well, he was motivated by rewards. Yes, he was. Well, he was motivated by the law of reaping and sowing and reaping. Yes, he was. Well, I don't get it. Why don't we get it? As we said at the very beginning of the series, God gives many motivations in our lives as we go along the way, depending on what we need at a certain period of time, with his giving us truth to have an impact on our lives, to keep us going. And Paul said in Philippians 1.20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, watch, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Notice in verse 20 that it says, Christ shall be magnified. The word magnified means to make great, to increase, to extol. He was motivated to make Christ great to others, to extol him, to draw attention to the Lord. Not only that, it will affect the prop, it'll have a proper effect on every area of life. Here is what it comes down to, folks. It is our desire to honor him in all things because that is what worship is. How much bigger that is than the way people think about worship today. They equate worship as simply praise and worship songs many times. No, it goes much further than that. I'm not saying everybody believes that, but it goes much further than that. It's not just music. It's not just this. Or it, 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 it affects the entire life of a believer if we are motivated to bring glory to God. It is this, Lord, you are worth everything to me. Therefore, in everything I do, I want to honor you, and I want to bring glory to you. That's the way we ought to be living. That should be our heart. And folks, listen, if God convicts us that we're not that way, we need to change. And if God wants to change direction of our lives for some reason, then we ought to say, yes, Lord, I surrender, because, Lord, all you have for me is the best, because you are God. You are God. It is all-encompassing. This is a very powerful motivation in the Christian life and grows out of our love for him, which we talked about being motivated by his love last week, and that can affect us to where we turn around then and end up loving him. All these things are interrelated. Now, you notice in verse 20 again, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Magnified. You think of something magnified. What is it? What are you doing? I'm magnifying it. What are you doing with that? I'm making it big, whether it be by life or death. Verse 21 now. For to me, to live is Christ. Wow. Wow. And to die is gained. We know Paul lived it out because he eventually died for or because of his faith. Even David wrote about the exact same concept in Psalm 86:12. You got your Bible? You want to turn over there real quick? Psalm 86 will be in the Psalms for just a minute. 
Psalm 86, in verse 12. It says in Psalm 86, 12, here's the psalmist. This is David. Oh boy, you hear these people today. Well, you know, I don't do anything in the Old Testament. That's under law. That's just rigid and mean and this and that. Man, you don't know what you're talking about. Can I put it in simple terms? The book of Psalms deals with the heart. That's what it, it deals with the heart, our innermost being, our core. It deals a lot, not only, well, it deals with everything scripturally. We know that. But it deals so much with our attitudes and our actions and our innermost being. And how are we really as people? You know, folks, there's a lot of people who want to use Christianity for their own gain. Did you know that? Psalm 86, 12, I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. That sounds just like Paul. Except Old Testament, doesn't it? Psalm 150, verse 6, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Everything that has breath. Creation praises Him. The entire universe praises Him. Everything should bring glory to God. Every person should bring glory to God. Especially the children of God. We have reason to bring glory to God because we're saved. And we are the children of God. His children ought to manifest his character. He's our spiritual parent. Isaiah 43, verse 7, it says, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I've created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Folks, when we embrace this truth and let it direct our lives, we are being motivated by the glory of God. Lord, you have created me for your glory. Therefore... Lord, I just want you to have your way in my life. I surrender everything to you. You are so good. You are so awesome. You are God. I surrender to you. Have your way. Use me as a tool in your hand. Lord, I don't want them to draw attention to me. I want them to draw attention to you. And you know, folks, sometimes those are just words to some people, but there are others where that is the heart desire of that person. Those are the people who have an impact on others. When we embrace this truth and let it direct our lives, we are being motivated by the glory of God. One person said this. It was not, we don't know who said it, but they said this. I love this. Listen carefully. We should give God the same place in our hearts that he holds in the universe. Wow. Revelation 4.11, again, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Hey, guess what? That would include me. He allowed me to be conceived and come into the world, and the overall reason He did was that I would end up bringing glory to Him. Now listen, God doesn't call every Christian into full-time vocational Christian work, but he does expect every Christian to be a full-time believer in the way he lives his life. That's his desire. That's his will. The way we live our lives, our home, our worship at church, the way we are at church, our financial giving. Andy talked about that this morning in Sunday school. The quality of our work at our job, how we treat other people, how we develop and raise our families. 
Every one of these things should be marked by the glory of God. This is what it's about. Matthew 5.16, you know it. Let your light so shine before men that they may, what? See your good works and do what? Glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And last, let me mention this today. Are you motivated by the glory of God? This is a question. I want you to take it personally today. Are you motivated by the glory of God? Listen, God does not require perfection of us, but we ought to give him our best because we are to bring the God of the universe glory. That's why he made us, and that is our purpose in life. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I am amazed as life goes on, and we learn this lesson more and more, we realize this, we come to comprehend it more and more. As folks, as we decrease and he increases, I am amazed how much more effective and how God will bless your efforts as a believer. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, of course, verse 19, he talks about that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God, and you're not your own. Verse 20, it says, For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are who? Who's the... They're his. When he saved me, I was bought by the blood of Christ. Redeemed, as they sang this morning. Redeemed by the blood. I belong to him. He purchased me. He delivered me. He redeemed me out of the slave market of sin. And I was born again. Now I'm a child of God. And I, he has saved me so that my life would bring glory to him. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Folks, you know what that means? One of the things that means is this. If I am using my life as a believer for the things of this world, I am stealing from God because I don't belong to me. I belong to him. You might say, well, I don't like that. I wrestle with that and all that. That's because you're not motivated by the glory of God couple more verses. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And several people this year at the fair tell me that salvation, that going to heaven is an earned reward and also a free gift. And we, you know, we usually just let them answer the questions, but when they do that on that one, I say, it can't be both. Oh, yes, it can. No, it can't. It can't be both. And then they try to explain it in such feeble, ridiculously contradictory terms you sit there amazed by the blindness that sits before you when somebody says something like that. Folks, listen, if you can earn salvation, it's not free. Or let me put it this way. If you have to earn salvation, it's not free then. You're earning it. The Bible says salvation is the gift of God. You don't earn a gift. You don't deserve a gift. Somebody gives it to you because they want you to have it. That's what a gift is. If I have to, I get this thing from somebody and it's, oh, here's a gift for you. And they give it to me. Wow, this is really nice. Thank you so much. And you say, okay, here's what I'm asking you to do for that. That's not a gift. That's a contract. That's an agreement. No, a gift is free. Salvation is free, not because it's cheap, because God is the one himself who paid the price so that we could live forever with him in heaven. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, 
verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace and gift always go together. Verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Perhaps you're here today or watching online, and you're not sure where you're going when you die. Friend, all I've said up to this point has to do with believers, those who have put their faith in Christ and received the gift of eternal life. But you don't live a certain life thinking, okay, I'm going to live a godly life and, 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 and uh, according to this and according to that in the Bible, and God will accept me into heaven if I do that. No, he won't. Because you don't go to heaven by your good works. You go to heaven through what Jesus did for you on the cross. And only that. For by grace are you saved through faith. What does that mean? What is that talking about? How does salvation become even a an option for us. Well, let me explain it to you, because here's the problem we have. We are all sinners. We're all sinners. If this is, represents you and me, let my wallet here represent sin. We're all sinners. This is what the Bible says. Yet the Bible says, for God so loved the world. God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. I had two teenage girls I was witnessing to the other day at the fair, and it was amazing, all the fidgeting going on and all of that. I don't know if they both trusted Christ. I know one of them, as far as I know, did. But the one who did, it was very fascinating to me that, you know, there was this distraction, that distraction, you know, the phone, the texting, everything going on. You just want to take it out of their hand and throw it against the floor. (laughs) This is far more important than your phone. I know they wouldn't see it that way. But anyway, by the way, I didn't do that. God loves us. He hates our sin. You see, folks, you can't get to heaven with even one sin. When God looks at us, this is how we have to be. It all has to be gone. How are we going to do that? Religion says, well, you have to be a Christ follower. You have to follow Christ. You have to live your life for him. You have to follow his word. You have to obey his commands. And that's how you get there. No, that's me trying to work the sin off, trying to counterbalance the sin, like there's, people think there's scales in heaven. Your good things on this scale, your bad things on this scale, whichever one's heavier will determine where you're going. There are no scales. Do you know that? There are no scales. Do a Bible search. You're not going to find them when it comes to this. Here we are. We're all sinners. To get to heaven, we have to be sinless, yet we're not, because heaven is a perfect place. No sin can enter there. Religion says, okay, the way you deal with this is by good works. But you notice what it says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No good works will save you. That is why Jesus had to come, because we couldn't earn it. If we die with our sin, we'll be separated from him in hell for all eternity. But he doesn't want that for us. He loves us. Hates our sin, but loves us. And so what he did is he himself, God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, this hand representing him, the sinless son of God. And when he died on the cross, all that we have done and sinned, every sin we've ever committed or will commit, Jesus took it all upon himself and he made the once for all payment for all that sin. And he was buried to prove he died and he came back from the dead to prove he lives. That he conquered death. And the Bible says this, all he's asking us to do is put our faith in him that he did that for us and he will save us by his unmerited kindness or favor. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. 
But if you will simply believe, put your faith in Jesus Christ that he did that for you, he gives you everlasting life. All your sin is taken away. Now, is it good to live a good life? Absolutely. We were talking about that this morning. But that doesn't get rid of your sin. It doesn't get you to heaven. Going to heaven is not something we can do. Going to heaven is simply putting our faith in Christ that he did it for us. If you've not trusted Jesus Christ the Savior, would you do that? Would you do that today? Now, once we're saved, yes, God wants us to live a life for him. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, the poema, it has to do, it's like writing a poem, okay? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus on two good works, which God has before ordained that we should. Certainly, we should walk in them, but that won't save you. That won't save you. So if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, would you do that today? Let me close by saying this. As we have seen in the last couple months or so, there are many motivations to live for Jesus Christ. There's the discipline of God. He uses the discipline in our lives. That could be chastening or punishment, but it can also simply be discipling, teaching us through life circumstances and trials. Then we saw the law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping, that's a motivator. Then we saw the eternal destiny of mankind being motivated by the great need of people being lost and going to hell, and we don't want them to go there. Then we saw the, the imminent return of Jesus Christ, the imminent rapture of the church being a motivator for us to live for Christ. Then we saw the promise of rewards for those who will faithfully live for Christ. We will stand one day at the judgment seat of Christ to receive rewards for what we've done for Christ. Then we saw the love and the grace of God last week, and today we've seen the glory of God. Many motivations all to the same end, that we would live lives pleasing to God. I think Fanny Crosby put it beautifully when she penned this, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate. Boy, isn't that a beautiful picture? He opened the life gate that all may go in. What's the right response to that? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Him being glorified, magnified. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Give him the glory. Great things he hath done. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.